If you are a powerful, impactful, influential leader, it is your job to create clarity even when you cannot see. The only true competitor in the infinite game is yourself. The leader of the team has to go first. So where do ideas come from? Welcome to Nordic Business Forum Audio, the podcast that empowers leaders to change the world. I'm Heli, and in this episode, you'll hear from Kostas Markides, the professor of strategy and entrepreneurship at London Business School. Soon, Kostas talks about the different types of innovation and what should companies do to successfully innovate. The discussion was recorded at Nordic Business Forum Helsinki in 2019. Enjoy. Thank uh, you, this is Costas Marquides, a professor at London Business School. Uh, you've been on the main stage as well, talking about innovation, um, but we're going to focus a little bit more on strategy during this discussion. Okay. Um, and you've been writing about this for a long time. You wrote a book 10 years ago called Game Changing Strategies, uh, which has been a thread through your work. But for anyone who hasn't read it, just give us the, the nutshell. Game Game Changing Strategies is a book about established firms and how they should respond to the invasion of a new business model in their industries. And basically describes the various strategies that big established firms could follow to respond to these innovations. The idea being that most of the business model innovations are introduced into an industry by new small startup firms. So the challenge for the big firm is not so much how do I discover these new business models, but how do I respond to them? So 10 years on from that, as we've seen the startup and the entrepreneurial community grow exponentially, uh, where are we now? Do you think big companies are kind of getting to grips with this need uh, to adjust enough, or has it gone slower than you expected? It's going as I expected, which is slow. Uh, big firms are not very good at innovation, especially business model innovation. They are not very good at responding to this kind of innovation because it is disruptive to their existing business and they find all kinds of conflicts that prevent them from responding very, very well. And What kind of conflicts? A- What are the main challenges? Because it seems obvious that big companies need to adapt. We've talked a lot about bureaucracy and administration with yeah. some of the other speakers here in the Via Play studio. But... Like you say, it's still moving slowly. It's more, big companies find it difficult to respond to any change, especially radical change. But when it comes to business model innovation, these new innovations, they have certain characteristics that make them very, very difficult for big companies to respond to them. One is that they are disruptive. What does that mean? The conflicts that I mentioned, they may cannibalize the existing business. For example, you you have an innovation that if it grows, it cannibalizes the existing business. Another conflict may be a distribution conflict. If the innovation grows, it undermines the distribution in your existing business. For example, if I sell online, I may undermine my retail business and so on. There is the reputation conflict. By growing the innovation, I may dilute or damage my underlying brand or, or, in, or uh, reputation and so on. So one of the characteristics of these innovations, business models innovations in particular, is that they tend to be disruptive to the core business, all these kind of conflicts. And that creates incentives in the core business, not only not to support them, but to actually undermine them and try to kill them. There is one more characteristic of these innovations that is difficult for, makes them difficult for established firms. And it's the fact that when they first arrive, these innovations, 
they become attractive to a different customer from the customer of the core business. So what happens is, as a big established firm, you see the innovation, you, you take it to your core customers and say, hey guys, do you want me to offer you this thing? And your core customers look at it and say, no, actually, I don't want it. <laughs> and because you listen to your customer, you don't invest in them until it's too late. So what are the options for big companies? Well, what are the options? One option is, you know, without creating a sense of urgency in the organization, nothing will happen. So the first thing we may want to talk about is how do you create a sense of urgency? Because what I found is that there is a right way to create urgency and there is a wrong way to create urgency. And unfortunately, 99% of companies out there, they use their own way to create urgency. But if we go beyond that and say, okay, after I create the urgency, what are my strategic options? One is to say, okay, I see the innovation. I, it may be disruptive, but I, I cannot avoid it in the sense that if I am a newspaper company, I see that online distribution of news is the future. I may not like it. I may think it's going to destroy my newspaper business, but I have to do it. So one option is to say, while managing the core business and the decline of the core business, I, I will invest at the same time and grow the innovation. Very much like an oil company that says oil is not the future, renewable in the future, but I cannot abandon the oil now. I'm going to focus and manage the decline of oil while doing the innovation. So this is what I call the option of playing two games at the same time. Mm -hmm. How do you play the existing game and the new one, and in the process, manage the decline of one and the rise of another? There is another option, which is to abandon what you're doing and move directly into the other one. And there is a third option of saying, you know, I'm going to find the innovation through innovation in my own business. Okay, so three very tangible ideas there. Picking up on the first, which I guess many would see more as a sort of safer option, do what you're good at, but think about the future as well. How can companies ensure that those things coexist? It's the most difficult thing in the world. You yeah. said it's easy, but in my experience is that most companies who try to do it fail in doing it. And the reason is because of all these conflicts that we discuss about, which is you're trying to manage this business, and at the same time, you try to grow that business. Now, this other business is not just a nice little business to have. It's one that, as it grows, it destroys the existing business because of all these conflicts. So the incentives in the system are such that the core managers will always find reasons to undermine or close down the growth business you're talking about. So the evidence is many, many companies, established companies, invest in the new business, and then two years, three years, four years into it, they find a rationale or a reason to shut it down. Oh, it's not working out. It's not giving us the growth we want. Maybe it's not good enough, and they shut it down. The underlying reason is because managers, high-ranking managers in the core business, find their own ways. They don't do it in an active way. They don't do it in a visible way, but find ways to undermine and sabotage the growth business, and they shut it down. So it's very, very difficult to grow the, these two things. And Do you one, have any best case practice well, examples? The, the example we, we all use these days is Nestle and Nespresso. And, you know, what is the solution? And the solution we try to give to companies is, look, maybe the way forward is manage the core over here, but at the same time create a separate unit to grow the new business, 
In the separate unit, you put its own managers, allow them to develop their own culture, give them their own incentives. So it's like having you know, the, the, the parents and the baby, and you let the baby grow at its own pace. Even that, creating this separation, it still requires a lot of management. You know, it's like I always, in the UK, I say, okay, the European Union is now going to create a separate unit called the UK, and so on. Creating a separation will not be the solution. You still have to manage the two, and there are many, many things that the core business needs to do to manage the separate unit. Okay, so what can you do to maximize the probability? Of, yeah, one thing is to think in explicitly about what are the synergies that exist between the core business and the new unit and put integrating mechanisms in place to exploit the two. So for example, you may have a common general manager that manages the core and the new unit so as to think out, oh, you can transfer people from one business to the other to transfer knowledge and expertise from one business to another and so. So one is managing the synergies the other is finding ways to manage the conflicts. The conflicts will always be there. Even if the United Kingdom leaves the European Union, the conflicts will always stay there. So just creating a separate unit and so on will not eliminate the conflicts. You have to find a way of managing those conflicts, either, either through the strategy you develop or by having senior people in the core business, protecting the unit, protecting against the alienation that it may face relative to the managers and so on. The third thing you have to do is to develop a strategy for the unit that is different from the strategy of the core and different from the strategy of the other disruptors in the business. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the usual thing that uh, mistake companies make is, just to give you an example, if you're British Airways and you want to respond to EasyJet, you say, okay, I'm going to form a separate unit like you advise me, and I'm going to say, okay, you separate unit, you compete with EasyJet. The most natural thing to do when you decide the strategy of this unit is to follow the EasyJet strategy. You say, well, EasyJet has a strategy, it's working, it's doing very, very well. So if I'm going to compete in that market, maybe I'll follow the same strategy. It's the worst thing you can do. By going in there and imitating the disruptor, you're going to fail. What you need to do is find a strategy that differentiates you, not only relative to the strategy of the core, but also relative to the strategy of the disruptor. So these are some of the things that you're going to increase the probability, not mm. maximize, increase the probability that you're going to succeed yeah. by playing two games. There's a lot to think about there. You mentioned uh, one thing, company culture. If you're trying to build up a new side business or strand yeah. from scratch, what are the key components for a good company culture in 2019? First of all, let me define what I mean by culture. For me, whenever people tell me I need a culture, I always say go and eat a yogurt because I don't know what the hell culture is. You know, what is culture? For me, culture is manifested in the day-to-day -day behaviors that you see in an organization practiced by everybody. How do they behave? When they tell me I need a new culture, I always say, okay, what kind of behaviors do you need? And they tell me, and I say, what kind of behaviors do you have now? And they tell me, and then immediately the issue becomes, how do I change the behavior of my people from this to this? So what kind of cultures do we need in today's world? First of all, you know, disruption is happening all around us. It's happening at a much faster rate than we all think or anticipate. What kind of culture do we need? We need a culture of agility. What is that? You want to give people autonomy. You want to give people the ability to monitor for themselves what's happening out in the empire. 
not only monitor, but have the freedom to respond. You don't want to employees to write reports and send them to headquarters and say, oh my God, these changes are happening. What do you think you should do? The board meets, they decide, they send a report, and you know, six months later, you haven't done anything. You want people that have the freedom and autonomy to see what's happening out there and the freedom and autonomy to respond to it as they see fit within certain parameters. You want people that are willing to question things, to challenge, you know, whether you are the boss or not is not important anymore. The way we do it with our children, by the way, if you think how your parents raised you, uh, raised me, let's say, 40 years ago with how I'm raising children now, it's totally different. I'm no longer a boss in my family. I'm a coach, you know. If, if I tell my, you know, I always give the example, 40 years ago, if my father said to me, Costas, go and do this, I went and did that. Now you tell the kids, do this, and they say, well, well, let's, let's debate <laughs> this with mommy over the dinner table, and so on. What does that mean? You're no longer the boss. You're no longer the leader. You are a coach, and you have to create, you know, a coaching environment where people are able to question and debate with you and so on. So there's a variety of things that we need to think about now about culture because we live in a totally different world from 10 or 20 years ago. Thank you. Very, very interesting closing Thank you so much for listening. You can keep on learning from other world-class experts by listening to our following episodes. To share your feedback, drop us an email at audio at nbforum.com. Until then, go make a change. <laughs>